Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. Don't get it twisted. Uh, this is the podcast where two brothers talk about comic books that they love. I'm one of the two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other brother. My name is Kevin Hines. I'm going to talk in a more measured tone today. And I'm going to be all over the place. I'm the high energy brother. I could do anything. I'm uh, a rogue rule breaker. And I'm sort of the cool, sunglasses wearing, chill, laid back comic book podcaster i do crazy things like i open the window of my car and jump into it without opening the door and then jump out the other window and into a manhole and i use the doors of a car and um we are comedians as you can tell from that hilarious introduction yeah there you go Um, and just we're just comedy experts we're sort of comedy we couldn't help it that just happened and we couldn't help it we made you laugh yeah, you people listening wouldn't get it, but when mm-hmm. you are a comedian, you uh-huh. fall into bits, and it's just natural. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like music. Yeah. Anyway, like, we you also couldn't like ask comic John books. Lennon not to make genius songs. He just Kevin. Did it. That's so nice. You made a Beatles reference. That's yeah. so nice of you. Oh, he was in the Beatles. Oh boy, thought I was making a Rolling Stones reference. Jeez, oh, jeez, Louise. <laughs> um, we like comic books, and this season we are talking about Justice League International. And this episode, we're doing issue 12 of Justice League International. Isn't that right, Kevin? That's correct, Will. This is sort of the end of the first year of the Giffen uh, architected Justice League series. Yeah, and um, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. Um, Have you read this issue before? Not since back in the day. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I loved it. All right. It wraps up. It kind of tells us what's going on with Maxwell Lord. And yeah. brings us into a new chapter of Maxwell Lord. It's sort of another issue, though, where the Justice League sort of don't do they much. They don't. They don't. The battle ends kind of without them doing anything. That yeah. happens so often. Yeah. It is so funny how they come, acro- they come up against some incredible villain. Time is spent to display how powerful this villain is. They're in deep trouble. And then it just kind of goes away. Yeah, it goes and away. They don't, through no this one, doing of them. Almost most, the most hilariously, I would say. Especially now that we know it's a pattern. This one did make me laugh out loud. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, let's, let's dig into it. Well, let's start with the cover. I give the cover four oranges out of four. Okay. Interesting. How many peaches out of four do you give it? Three. Okay. Interesting. Now I'm just trying to figure out your peach to orange. How that's how that peaches are more valuable. Yeah. Okay. I get that now. The cover actually, it's a very striking cover visually. I don't think it's a hundred percent accurate of to the, what goes on. I, I guess it sort of is. Yeah. It I says wonder, Maxwell Lord, man or machine. And it's, it's like a split screen where he's half human and half like cyborg, but he's never a robot. He's never a cyborg, but uh, this metaphorically is true. Like, is he a man or is he yeah. a machine controlling a man? Well, covers are often done like three months ahead of time. I wonder if they just change their plans. I didn't know that. Yeah, covers, covers are done because they need to be put in, like, previews, um, catalogs. This might not have been true then. It definitely is true now that covers are done well ahead of time. So they'll solicit covers from artists, and then either the writer has to, like, keep that cover true, or they just sort of like, eh, that's not true anymore. Marvel went through a long stretch where they just made all their covers sort of just, like, cool images of the character, but that had nothing to do with the story, which so is like Spider-Man swinging through the city every cover. Oh, Interesting. Because they were sort of like, eh, covers aren't what sells comics anymore. So who cares what's on the... A good-looking cover is important, but it doesn't matter 
it's not like, ooh, Batman turned into a tree. I want to read this story. It's just like you're buying it because it's Spider-Man and it's written by uh, Straczynski and with John Romita Jr. art. Um, yeah. So that's what you care about. Uh, so for a while they were doing that. They, they dropped that after a while. Um, mm. And when you look back at those covers, it's boring. There's like month after month of like pretty covers. But it's like, what is that story about? No I idea. I wonder if the data backed them up if the sales didn't change at all. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, definitely was a thing, uh, right, with uh, the Silver Age. DC put so much stock into covers. And certainly the dawn of Marvel, so much was about covers. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved looking at the covers of the comic books to see what weird things was going on. And it was always like, Captain America's turned into a penny? What is he going to do now? Or whatever. Well, yeah, I used to go to comic shops regularly, basically up until I had a kid. Like every Wednesday I would want to go and I'd want to like skim the, uh, the, the comics just looking for something that catches my eye. But it was becoming a problem where a lot of covers aren't done by the interior artists anymore. So I'd be like, ooh, this is cool art. I'd pick it up and be like, oh, it's just the cover. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be interested because I'm like, that's what drew me in. But I don't, I don't know. I'm also a 45 year old white man. I don't know if I'm the target audience anymore for. Uh, Aren't we the exact books. target audience? I feel like com- when I go to comic book shops, it's filled with clones of me. I mean, I think it's like the most depressing place <laughs> in the world. Maybe, maybe we are the audience that they have, not, not, the, not necessarily the audience they want. <laughs> we're like the dark Knight, but yeah, yeah. We're the, we're the Batman yeah. Gotham city needs. Not the deserves, deserves. Not, 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 not what they need. I don't know. How does that go? That was a cool saying. I can never remember exactly how it goes. He becomes the Batman Gotham needs, right? But not the one necessarily they deserve. They deserve a hero, but they need him yeah. to be a villain. Yeah. So that Harvey Dent could be the hero. Yeah. That's sort of the point of that movie. I think it's sort of tossed out in the next movie somewhat. I watched the third Batman, Christopher Nolan Batman movie on a plane, and I remember none of it. Everyone hates it. I loved it. I don't know. You loved it. I saw it with our, our younger brother, Brian. Yes. Um, you guys see every Batman movie together. We, we've seen, I think, all but one Batman movie on opening night together. And I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. And then everyone's like, oh, it's bad. I'm like, I guess I didn't. All right. I believe you. I hate when that happens, when I like a movie and then everyone tells me it's bad. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. I've rewatched it and I still enjoy it. So it, it just doesn't bother me, all the things that everyone complains about. Um, I love Batman Returns, the second Tim Burton movie. And that's one that gets kind of made fun of a lot. That's mixed. Some people love it. Um, well, I'm people, in that camp. People hate the, the, the last, the George Clooney one, rightfully so. I, I dislike that one, yes. Um, I, uh, I don't like Batman Begins and I'm in a very small minority there. I found it kind of boring. Like, I didn't yeah. dislike it. I just wasn't excited by it. I was bored. Uh, I'm not necessarily against seeing an origin, like, a training movie for Batman, but I was bored. Yeah. And then the plot, I didn't think was that good either. Um, yeah. It was it was very ridiculous. Uh, but people loved it, man. People loved that movie. It reminds me of X-Men 1. Like, it sort of establishes dignity for the franchise, but it's not, like, yeah. that fun. But uh, the, uh, the problem with Batman Begins for me is, like, the, you already believe that Batman can be done well. Yeah, we already the, have credibility on the that. The first X-Men was like, oh, they can do this well? Like, yeah. you can make Wolverine and Magneto cool yeah. with in live action? Yeah. I, I didn't believe... When I saw X-Men, I think we said this, like, oh, they could do Spider-Man. That's right. That's and right. And they immediately did. Um, let's get into this comic, Kevin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Splash what, page. what are we talking about? <laughs> Justice League. 
So splash um, page is a huge close up of Metron's face. Yeah. Metron um, who was introduced at the end of last issue as the villain or the antagonist. Does he look evil? Um he looks like a 1920s football player. I feel like he's about to like put a fur around his neck and and score six for Yale. He looks disappointed in me. I feel like I've let him down. Um it's funny when you take a Jack Kirby character out of the hands of Jack Kirby, they look too normal. I need that Jack Kirby enthusiasm where their shoulders are, you know, so big that it goes beyond their head and they've got like four exclamation points before the end of the first sentence. I will say this about these first few pages um, is that I don't, it, it's interesting because I think like, and I, I don't know if this is everything I'm saying now might all be untrue, okay. but I don't know how integrated the new gods had been with the DC universe up to this point. It feels like they're being brought in for the first time ever in this story. So the new gods are a bunch of characters that Jack Kirby made in the early seventies and they initially were sort of, and it was for DC comics, but they were kind of in their own world. 95%. Yeah. I mean, they were connected to the Superman books a little bit. And it was theoretically possible for regular characters from the the DC universe. Yeah. To show up in New Gods or vice versa, but it didn't happen too much. Jack Kirby kind of had his own little sandbox yeah. to play in, but then he left, um, and the characters were part of the DC universe, and they sort of slowly got integrated. So yeah, maybe at this time, they weren't like that. They weren't known. Like people didn't necessarily know who Metron. Do they even know now? Are the New Gods like that big a deal? Well, and that was my other question: is like I don't know if fans at this point had heard of these characters. At this point, they're relatively well known, only in the sense that like. Darksiders was on Superman the Animated Series and Justice League Unlimited. Um, Steppenwolf was the villain in the Justice League movie, uh, released the Snyder Cut. Um, I don't care. Um, uh, so at least people seem aware of those characters much more now than they used to be, right? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I never know how well known. I mean, when I bought their collections, they were sort of new to me. I knew of Darkseid. Darkseid is huge. Yeah. Like, as a villain. He is a powerful um, villain, and I think he's a great, especially when you get a Superman, he's a great villain to have out there that is way more powerful than Superman. It's nice to have. I think he is well-known. I don't know how many people know the Forever People and, um, you know, Dream, goodness. Beautiful Dreamer and, and yeah. Granny Goodness and the Female Furies. To a different extent, people know those characters. Is it the Black Rider? The, the guy uh, on skis, black racer, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who's like death. Uh, I mean, I love yeah. the female furies. I think they're great. Um, I mean, all the new gods, as you're looking at the Kirby books, they look, I think incredible. They look uh, so fun and eye grabbing and sort of crazy, but like, they're also all strange. Like Jack Kirby, as we have covered in this podcast is a genius and also a madman. Like his stuff is insane. And I will also say this. Darkseid was on Super Friends. Way back in the day. Yeah, like when I was a kid, Darkseid and a few of the villains. I don't think any of the heroes were. I mean, Calabac and Desaad and Darkseid were on Super Friends. Somehow Jack Kirby's got that flair for design. When he draws somebody, everybody wants to put him in their book. Um, and it was like a big deal. They were brought in with Firestorm to like the last couple seasons of Super Friends to like make it more serious. Um, and as a kid, I remember digging it in a big way, 
but that was my introduction to those characters. But I certainly didn't know who Metron was when I read this. I can't imagine I would know who Metron was when yeah. this comic came out. I was 12. I feel like an idiot, but who was the protagonist of New Gods? Orion. He's the Luke Skywalker, right? Yeah, Orion. Orion is like the angry son of Darkseid who is raised by High Father. I mean, this is like the big thing that Star Wars kind of either took from New Gods or they both took from the same source upstream. Mm -hmm. But the son of the main villain was raised on the good planet and the son of the main good guy was raised on the evil planet. Right. But right. And Mr. Mr. Miracle is the son of the main good guy, but he was raised on the evil planet. But all with the intent that at some point he would escape, allowing Darkseid to declare war on New Genesis. Mm. Like that was sort of Darkseid's plan or something. Yeah. He needed to buy time or something. I don't know if it ever was that clear, but he wanted to buy time. Uh, so he gave up his son. I think he also thought his son might come back to him. But Orion mm. became good and Mr. Miracle stayed good. So 0 for 2. He, he was 0 for 2. 0 for 2 is the dark side. Um, anyway, so here we are with Metron. And his yeah. whole thing is he's all about knowledge. He has no, like, morality. He just wants to learn, 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 learn. Yes. He's a super nerd. He's like a Wikipedia, but he won't shut up about it. Yeah, he sits in a chair nonstop and just thinks all day long. And uh, so he's mad at the Justice League. They have intruded upon his... Uh, realm, and he is really mad, and the Justice League do not know what they're dealing with. Right, and on this first page, this is one of the things I was like, I don't think the New Gods have been that integrated uh, into the DC Universe. Definitely this is their first big um, showing up in uh, post-crisis, because Mr. Miracle seems to be explaining to Captain Adam and Martian Manhunter who they are, who this is. He's like, for sure Blue Beetle has no idea. He says, quiet Beetle, I'll do the talking. Like Mr. Miracle gets real serious real fast. And he's like basically begging Metron to not kill them. Yes, because uh, he knows how powerful Metron is. He's basically a god. The rest of the JLI is really just fed up with this dude. They basically came here because they got attacked by a giant robot who led them here. So yeah. they're like, hey, we didn't even want to come here. Don't get mad at us. And, right? and in their mind, like, here's the bad guy. Let's fight him. Yeah, you obviously are in charge of this giant robot that just attacked us, but Metron actually also, this is a setup, he actually doesn't know what's going on either. Right, and all Mr. Miracle knows is like, even if this is Metron is responsible, he will kill us. We can't mess with him. So he's like, Metron knows Mr. Miracle, they are from the same planet, Mr. Miracle's begging him to have mercy, we got, you know, we're getting some jokes from Blue Beetle and stuff, he calls him Metronome, that's very funny. Great joke, Blue Beetle. That's his if weapon. you want him metronome, you got to go through us. The name is Metron. <laughs> yeah, Metron pretty, didn't catch the joke. Pretty funny. Yeah. And so Metron's about to wipe them out, but Mr. Miracle begs for mercy. Yeah, we see it through um, uh, uh, this, the computer screen that we've been seeing the last uh, the last issue and a little bit before that is sort of yeah. watching this happen uh, where uh, Mr. Miracle's like, I'm Scott Free, the son of High Father, supreme ruler of New Genesis. I've known you all my life. I've always respected you. And I thought till now that you've always respected me. And Metron responds, believe me, Scott, it was only your presence that gave me pause. High Father's son is not to be taken or treated lightly. So it's like we cut to this very tense. Very tense, yes. And then, Kevin, I'm going to need your help because from this point on, I get extremely confused. Okay, I explained this to you last episode of our podcast, but I'll do I it I don't again. like this convention. I don't like this convention of the computer where they are talking to us. We see a computer screen and there's words on the screen. Yes. And then in the same panel, there's also a caption with words. And that is the same character. Yes. 
One I is like the, the, the screen is like commands. So he's like, that is him saying, let's fu- give me all the information I've got on Mr. Miracle. And then his thought process is everything else. He's not yeah. doing anything like last issue. I think the only thing that showed up on the screen was like return to base. It doesn't work for me. Well, it works for me. Okay. So we are looking at it from the computer's point of view and Metron and Mr. Miracle are sort of like talking at it and they kind of realize, oh, we've been set up. Yeah. But the computer like Metron's also like, I didn't do that robot. And Mr. Miracle's like, look, we didn't come here on purpose. But this computer didn't know who Mr. Miracle was. That's weird, right? Yeah. He didn't know that Mr. Miracle was from, he knew that Mr. Miracle was a member of the Justice League. He did not know Mr. Miracle's backstory. Yeah, there's nothing in my records about Mr. Miracle being of new genesis. And I think some of that is because Mr. Miracle came to Earth and then met a Mr. Miracle. Um, so Scott Free came to Earth and assumed but, but the, the identity persona of, of Mr. Mr. Miracle. Miracle was a pre existing thing. Yeah, it's like he showed up and he's like, I'll be the new, um, you know, Houdini. And, is, and Metron is a good guy? He's from New Genesis? He's from New Genesis. He's sort of played as like a neutral guy. Okay. Like he's not going to help or hurt anybody. He, he just wants to learn. He's like a watcher. He just observes. Yes. But he wears pants. And he uh, uh, gets involved about as much as a watcher does. Which is to say all the time. Yeah. He just doesn't make a big deal about not doing it. So it's cooler when Metron does it. So Metron and Mr. Miracle talk and then Metron kind of realizes, okay, so it's not, you guys didn't come here to invade me. Oh, wait a minute. I sense a presence and he senses the computer that we are watching all these things through. And upon Metron realizing the existence of the computer, the computer's like, I got to run for it. Yeah. It's also funny. There's a moment Metron goes, I must have silence for 30 seconds. He knows the exact amount of time he needs to figure this all out. That's an old Kirby thing. Remember how on Stan Lee thing, like a lot of villains would show their power by being good at scheduling. <laughs> yeah. That's like a sign of intelligence in comic books. So that's what that's, that's I what that exactly is. I need exactly 27 seconds to finish my calculations. Like, ooh, this guy must be smart. Um, yeah. So the computer sees that and immediately like leaves, uh, uh, erases or destroys his computer uh, location in this cave. Yeah, and leaps to like another mainframe. We'll find out later. Yeah, he's theoretically right. connected to Maxwell Lord's computer, so that's the only place he remains. This is pre, uh, pre-internet, all-powerful internet. Internet must exist in some form. But it absolutely existed, but it w- did not exist in the minds of the people. We yeah. did not know about it. Yeah. So there's a dome. We cut to the Guardians Dome, the Global Guardians, right? Which is sort of the. Uh, they are the Articles of Confederation of the Justice League's Constitution. They are, they are the global organization that is being supplanted by the Justice League International. Yes, this was a team of international superheroes, uh, mostly lame characters. Good. Um, who, their whole claim to fame was, we serve the world since Justice League is only for America. And the Justice League basically said, we'll serve the world. So it's like, oh, then what are we doing? So they are kind of disbanding. That's right. And two two of their members, Fire and Ice, are wondering what to do. And Kevin, they be, they become members of the league. They do. Uh, this is but the, not this the issue. first hint. We're not going to see it in this issue. At this point, I think they're still called Ice Maiden and Green Flame or Green Fire. Um, something like that. Uh, Green Flame. Green, Green Flame. Flame and Ice Maiden. They shorten their names to Fire and Ice, I think, which is fine. 
I think it's totally fine. I think it's a great lateral move. Um, so we see them kind of like, what are we going to do? And we see that they're sort of like pragmatic and practical and kind of like, they have the same kind of like salt to the earth chutzpah that the rest of the Justice League has. Well, yeah, I, they also have already pretty distinct personalities. Uh, Fire is, uh, she's like, well, let's go out and party with our last paycheck. And Ice is like, well, I'd rather just pay rent. And it's fire at idea. She's like, well, look, if we need work, let's work for our competitors, the Justice League. Yep. And then we cut to the last panel, which is some dude in an office and Fire and Ice are confronting him. And they're like, you want to what? Yeah. I mean, there's something interesting about that. Hey, we've got superpowers. You need us. And to be fair, um, after Captain Adam leaves the team, Fire becomes one of the most, uh, when Captain Adam and Rocket Red leave the team, Fire becomes like the second most powerful member. After John Jones? Yeah. I mean, she's the human torch, but even more powerful in some sense because she doesn't have a body. That's stuff we'll never really get into, but she becomes like, eventually she gets the power to like ignite on, here's her power right now, Will. Are you, I don't know if you're okay. aware of this. Right now her power is just she breathes fire. Okay. Uh, and then. That's, that's pretty good. Pretty good. But like, I don't think a lot. I don't think like a dragon breath. It'd be great for performances. Sure. It's great for like backyards at a, a friend's yeah, party. Oh, huge hit. Uh, but at some point during the invasion crossover, mm. which we're not going to cover, uh, she, her metagene gets engaged and her power increases to the point where she basically becomes the human torch, can flame on. But instead of flaming on, she turns into uh, a creature of fire. Okay. So if, like you threw a rock at her, it would go through her stomach and it wouldn't hurt her. I love elementals. Um, this is what she is. I but that makes her very thing. powerful in my mind. I think so too. Yeah. But she's also going to be a, you know, devil may care girl that wants her time shopping. Yes. She wants, she wants to get paid on time and she wants to get paid right. And ice brings a lot to the guy Gardner relationship. Uh, we'll talk about some of this next episode, I think. Um, okay. So ice, meanwhile, we cut they're back great to characters the, and great additions to a team that needs some strong female characters. Okay. Um, I'm a misogynist and not in favor. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you're on the record. Yep. When I, when I told you Black Canary was in this comic book, you said, let's skip it. Let's yep. skip let's those forget. panels, you said. I said, one female character? Too many, I said. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, let's see. The Justice League is flying away from this place where they confronted Metron, and they're kind of... There's a lot of exposition to this issue. They're kind of recapping what we just learned, which is like, so we got set up... Well, you said you didn't understand it, so they probably heard you say that. And they're, yeah. they're, they're trying to help you out. Um, and you know what? Maybe I understand it. It just seems unnecessarily complicated. Well, that's uh, what this page is for. Okay. Um, so then we, so they're sort of recapping. Yeah, we got set up. Metron's trying to figure it out. They make a couple Star Trek jokes. Star Trek jokes are good. Then we cut to Maxwell Lord, who has already destroyed his office in frustration last time. Oh, no, last time, like, the Justice League flew through his building yes. in order to avoid a missile and save him. And so that office is still in wreckage. Right. He had been attacked by his computer. And then also the Justice League flew through his building. So he's kind of contemplating, what should he do? Like, Well, he also sent the Justice League to, to what he thinks is a trap. He thinks... He said they were going to save him, but they might be going to die. And they were like, they were going to fight Metron and theoretically get killed by Metron. So he's, he's bummed. He's having a bad day. Yeah. Uh, and then the computer reveals that it killed his secretary during the millennium event that no one cared about. Right. We saw that happen. We saw it happen. 
but, um, but Mrs. Max somehow but, didn't know that Mrs. she's Wootenhofer dead. shot him. Um, yes. And then the computer killed her. And then as far as we know, nothing happened after like Max was just fine. We never knew anything else. So here we re- it's revealed to us that the computer fixed Max and murdered a secretary. He just didn't know any of that happened. Okay. And we also know the computer fled the sentient computer brain fled its old terminal wherever it was when Metron yes. detected it and is now hiding on this little PC in Max's office. Yeah, it's like hiding it was, in a little ATM. Box. I think it was on both. I think these computers were connected and it sort of severed the more okay. powerful side to just okay. be with Max. Cause I think it needs to be with Max. Max is its human agent. As we're about to learn. Yeah. And it's like basically, Hey Max <laughs> download me into NORAD. It basically asks, yeah. Which we all know NORAD because we're all War Games fans. Yes, War Games is the big computers that controls all of America's missile systems. Mm-hmm. As we know from the Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy movie, War Games. Mm-hmm. So Max is having a conversation with the computer where the, Max is like fed up with this guy and he's like, I've had it with you. And the computer's like, come on, come on, come on. You love me. You need me. We're good. We're good. We're going to make world peace. We got a Keith Giffen big eye panel here. Yep. Then we launch into the Maxwell Lord backstory. And this is where I think last issue you asked me what I thought of that issue. And I sort of combined these two issues in my mind. And it's like, it's not great because it's like three pages of just explaining. Yeah. Talking about how Maxwell Lord became. That's my memory of DC Comics in this era. And I'm not a DC guy as much as Marvel. But between Crisis and like Man of Steel and things like this, my experience is open up at DC Comics. There's at least like four pages of like. This is not true, but emotionally, this is kind of what I would feel like I would get from a DC comic. You open it up and it's like, so wait, which Robin is this? Wait, what, what's happening with Superman? He's not an anchorman anymore. He's just a reporter. What's with Max Lord? He is a robot, but he's not. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So lots of explaining. Well, that's true of this issue for sure. Um, I just want to say that when we begin this flashback in panel two of the flashback, when we're learning that Maxwell Lord back in the day was sort of a corporate stooge, was very ambitious and frustrated because he didn't think of a way to move up. And there's a shot of him at a water cooler with some other dude who I think represents a non-ambitious man who's just happy to be at the water cooler. Yeah. I love that dude. <laughs> that dude, you, re- <laughs> you relate to him? I think I looked at him and I was like, I want to play that dude in a movie. <laughs> yeah. I want to know. I Seriously, I was like, I want to know his story. He makes me laugh. He's got a mustard tie. And he's just super happy at this water cooler, like hanging out. Maxwell Lord is all slumped over. I mean, he's hanging out with Maxwell Lord the Fourth, an up and comer. Yeah, he's having a great day. He's like, "Hey, we're doing all right, you and me." <laughs> um, but we leave that character forever after that one panel visit. <laughs> yeah, and Maxwell Lord, uh, we learned that he was really ambitious, and he basically set up. He became the second in command of a company best friends with the president and set up the president to die. Yeah. He was going to kill the president so that he could be in charge. Um, but then the president had an accident with and died anyway, <laughs> died without Maxwell Lord getting his hands dirty and Maxwell Lord decides to save him instead of letting him die. Try to save he, him, try to save him. And then he get, then he discovers the computer that we just saw in its location that we just saw in the previous sequence. And it like, I don't know melds with max or something yeah it hypnotizes him and or entices him it's unclear how much was the computer manipulating him and how much was it just like taking advantage of an already um greedy executive 
But then the computer and Maxwell Lord take charge of this team. company and working together have great take success. Over. Yeah, they like this company becomes world powerful and hugely rich and Maxwell Lord becomes hugely rich and hugely powerful. Because this computer I guess the computer brain and Max combine to just make really good decisions. Yeah. I mean, this computer is built by Metron. So it knows a lot. Yeah, that's a smart computer. It's like, hey, psh, bet on the Dodgers to win this on April 10th. Also where I wonder if Maxwell Lord was meant to die and or be a villain. And they changed their mind at some point. This feels Yeah, because this looks like a villain reveal. This feels like a villain reveal. There's little moments where he's like, I was actually pretty good at business. I did a lot of it myself, and I was going to save him. He died on his own. I, like, I didn't have to kill him. Like, it seems like a lot yeah. of, like, retroactively going. Yeah, they're walking it back. Um, he's not, he was going to be bad, but he sort of decided to be good at the last moment. Yeah, the cleaner version of the story is, I was a nobody. I was willing to kill, but then I found a better deal. Make a deal with the devil and let him host me so I get all this greed. That's, like, the simpler version of the yeah, story. Yeah, and then you could even have, like, this villain running the Justice League for a while. Um, until they figure that out and out him or something. But that's not the case. He's he's They save his morality. The yeah. story protects him being a good guy. After this issue, he's a good guy up until uh, the infinite crisis, or, uh, I think it's called, or maybe a di- the final crisis. I don't remember which crisis. Some crisis where he, he turns into a flat-out villain. So continue with the story. The computer and him are really powerful. They get And then they, then they recap all the issues we've seen from Maxwell Lord's point of view, and we learn that... Every adventure the Justice League has had has been machinations of Maxwell Lord and this computer to sort of like get the Justice League in a position to protect the world and make Maxwell powerful. Everything but the Gray Man. Right. The Gray Man is not his idea. But like the Royal Flush Gang, the Ace of Spades, the recruitment of Dr. Light, the recruitment of Booster Gold. Yes. The satellite shooting a laser at the planet. Oh, and also those uh, Justice League analogs. Windy Ninja wasn't wasn't uh, Maxwell Lord. Uh, okay, yeah, Windy Ninja, Windy Ninja, and Gray Man were not Maxwell Lord. So good for the Justice League. They did a little something. Nice. But anyway, at this point, Maxwell Lord decides I don't like this plan, and he smashes the computer apart, separating himself after all these years from his partner in crime, a computer. Right. And then the next page when that happens, Metron so senses funny. that the computer is gone and goes, great, problem solved, and leaves. Tells the Justice League, don't worry, this is all taken care of. So they have done nothing. Yeah. And it's over. Uh, and then we cut back to just Maxwell there, Lord. The, the third uh, panel on that page is just a, uh, Mr. Miracle responding, gone? And Metron responds, dead. It's over. I'm no longer needed here. And Blue Beetle responds, hey, wait a minute, you can't just, and that's it. It's over. Metron yeah. is gone. Yeah. Farewell, Scott Free. May your heart never be far from the source. I didn't know Metron was a Star Wars fan, which is pretty funny because that was sort of like Star Wars the Force, New God. There's a lot of Star Wars and New Gods comparisons. That's right. Um, so it's funny to sort of make that observation. We cut back to Maxwell Lord. He has smashed up his computer and he's got little sp- spots of blood on him. I guess that's from his, him, what, severing himself from the computer, yeah, he, sort of? because the computer had fixed him up from the bullets, if you read the captions. Okay, um, no, I don't read those. Yep, that's part of the why you got confused by the captions earlier. Well, um, I don't read the speech balloons or the captions. <laughs> that's tough. And this was a confusing issue. Um, but yeah, the computer had patched him up, and whatever the computer had done, 
stopped working once the computer was around to keep him alive. So the gunshot wounds reopened. And um, he collapses. Yep. But then we cut to the next page and the Justice League has arrived in time to get him to a hospital and probably save him. Yeah, and they reveal, and one of the word balloons will, that John Jones has scanned Maxwell Lord to, to find out the truth of everything. So they know the story without having to explain it again. And Oberon stands up for Maxwell Lord. Oberon is like, I think this guy's good. I mean, yeah, we've just heard a lot of troubling stuff, but I think he's basically a good guy. But they say it's up to John Jones what they do with Maxwell Lord. And we see that John has left a JLI communicator in his hand. So that's his vote. He thinks he should stay. Yep, and he does. End of issue. Yeah. And from this point on, like I said, throughout the Keith Giffen era, Maxwell Lord is basically just a sweet, sometimes shady, gray, but always on the side of angels. I love the angels. I prefer them to the devils. Um, and like uh, uh, later on, he'll get slight mental uh, powers, and he will use those in ways that he probably shouldn't. Um, um, but he doesn't, he, that, this is the end of him being outright evil. And like, by the time, uh, the stereos is wrapping up, he is just like a very good natured, sweet guy, um, that like they love and, and he stays on the team even after Giffen leaves. He's still in charge of the team after Giffen and James DeMatteis leave the book. Yeah. For a while. They really, they, they, they made an impact on this, uh, yeah. story. So, um, we should take a break right now, Kev. Oh, yeah. We forgot to take a break earlier. So let's do it now. All right. Goodbye for a moment. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about or the format of the show or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we're back. All right. So as of this issue, ignoring everything that follows it, is yeah. Ma- do you think Maxwell Lord is a good guy? Yes. Because he... Based on this issue. He did... Uh, oh, uh, well, he he's definitely, I'll, I'll say this, he is being presented as a good guy. Like, I am supposed to think of him as a good guy. I don't think he's a good guy. I think he's like a rat. I mean, he planned to kill his boss. Yeah. He worked with the his boss computer did for die. a long time. He did send the Justice League to die, or to what he thinks they might die. Um, he did not reveal that the satellite that shot a laser was his, that he was responsible for. All he did that was good was like killed the computer that was helping him be powerful. He, you know, he's basically after years and years and after it made him like the richest man in the world. Yeah. He's basically like, um, Jafar at the, at the, at, before Aladdin stops him, he's like, I'll get rid of the genie now. Yeah. I'll just be the emperor or the sultan. I got everything I need. And he's like, you know, Jafar's a pretty good guy. <laughs> yeah. That sort of feels like that to me. Yeah. 
Um, so you feel like he's a bad guy, but I, when I read this, I don't think I thought he was a bad guy. We're definitely getting the signal that we're supposed to think of him as a good person. That signal definitely worked on me when I was 13, but I'm reading this issue now. I'm like, he feels bad to me. After this, as I said, I've reread the whole run. He's good. Uh, he has moments yeah. of like, sort of like, oh, he's not all good, but he's better than Guy Gardner as far as good guys go. Yeah. Um, and he's and he's nowhere near as evil as he becomes later on. So I don't know. It's a very weird. It's a very weird turn. And I guess I see why he became a villain in current modern DC comics, even though I don't like it. I mean, I guess, you know, it's like when you're emotionally invested in a character, you know them well. You always want them to become good. It's like Darth Vader becomes good at the end of the three Star Wars movies. But it's like, this guy's not good. Like, he can't walk back what he's done. Yeah. Because he killed the Emperor, he slaughtered Jedis and blew up Yeah. He did a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. So, I don't know. But that's the way it goes in storytelling. If somebody has enough of the reader's focus, we're ready for them to become good at a moment's notice. Um, what was your favorite part of this issue? My favorite part was Blue Beetle calling Metron Metronome. How about you? I think my favorite part was, uh, Mr. Miracle begging Metron not to attack them. Just just the, the framing of how powerful Metron was. Yeah. Just how desperate and quick Mr. Miracle was to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to defuse this now. Like there was not a moment wasted and he was just... There was no hum. He wasn't humble. He basically dropped to his knees and was just like, "Just Metron, listen to me for a second before you kill us all." Yeah, and it's great. It's a really fun moment. It's really that's what saved the Justice League. Yeah. Um. So Kevin, uh, well, that's the end of our Justice League International run. Yeah. Uh, next episode, I've convinced you to cover some of the Justice League Europe issues. That's right. We're going to do against my will. You have mm-hmm. forced me under duress. That's right. To accept this almost untenable position of covering Justice League Europe. Um, I think we'll cover at least four, though I'm going to push for six. I'll and, never I'll never let you. And uh, that's where we'll ra- then we'll wrap up the season there. OK. Um, and that's I think collected in. Uh, it's probably still in print, but uh, I'm going to check real quick if people want to read that. Justice League. Europe is, let's see, um, nope, uh, Justice League International Volume 5 of these okay. collections is covers the first six issues of Justice League Europe plus a couple annuals that we're not covering, but the issues we're covering yeah, are in that collection so it's volume so we're skipping volumes three and four and the end of this volume two yeah uh, i'm going right to volume five great um uh i'm excited yeah i'll talk briefly next episode about everything that happens between now and then but real quick okay and uh should we do some email let's do it um we've got a few emails here will Good. Um, Justin Bridge emailed in. He is uh, uh, he weighed in on Millennium being terrible. Okay. The Rocket Reds being cool, and Torch burning Namor's beard off as cool. Yes. Uh, and he also talked a little bit about Jim Shooter. He sort of agrees with us. Well, that Jim Shooter is 
other than Stan, maybe the most influential editor that Marvel had. Yeah, I, yeah. Again, I've said it before. He's the editor at the time that we were young and reading comics, so we're very invested in that era. Mm-hmm. I wonder if so. It has a big impact on us, and I think I think Justin is around our age. So yeah, I think um, the only one that would even come close is maybe Casada, the current editor. He's been doing it for a long time. Been doing right? it for a while, and also sort of like was doing it before Disney bought Marvel, before Iron Man was a movie. So sort he of, really bridged a couple of eras. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, if Marvel stayed bad then, who knows if any of that stuff happens. Right. Maybe it still does. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that was, he was irrelevant to that. It was like the properties were still cool. Yeah. But um, he made Marvel Comics better at the right time for those, when those movies started hitting. Yeah. Um, but he would be the only other person I would say is in the conversation. Um, but yeah, it makes me want to cover Secret Wars. The more I think about it, the more I want to cover Secret Wars just so we can talk a lot about Jim Shooter. I like that plan. Um, at some point. Uh, we're also going to do Sandman comics. We're going to do Sandman. That's probably our next season, right? Yeah, yeah I think so, yeah. So uh, there you heard it here first, which is the only Sand- place you'd hear it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to hear it in the New York Times. I uh, hope not. Uh, the New York Times should be covering better stuff. Uh, but our season five will be Sandman. That's right. Um, we don't know what issues some, yet. So Justin just sort of checked in with his opinions on several things, and we agree with him. Yes. Um, Thank you, Justin. Uh, Peter Kaufman sent us a link to a video. I don't know if you've seen this video, Will. This was included, I think, on the Spider-Man Homecoming DVD. It is one of the news, the kids' news shows that plays in the school. Okay. And it's sort of recapping the movie through the point of view of the kids. Like It's like, oh, this bus got destroyed because of Spider-Man vulture fight, but they don't like, they're talking about it just like we lost a bus or whatever. And it's humorous and it's like filmed bad with bad edits and mics dropping into shots and stuff like that. Funny. Uh, It's hosted by Betty Brandt who becomes a bigger part of the next movie. Uh, And the co-host is Jason uh, Ionello who uh, I think was only in untold tales of Spider-Man. Kurt Busick's sort of retro Spider-Man title. Uh, that's a deep cut. Yeah, Jason was a real jerk in that comic. <laughs> um, he made Flash Thompson seem nice. Uh, but Jason in, the, Jason in the movie seems like a pretty nice slacker. Okay. Uh, Brian Spiker emails you, Will. I say you Good. because uh, he's going to talk about Comedy Bang Bang. All right, I'm ready. Love casting the JLI for comedians. Now, if you could just cast from Comedy Bang Bang guest improvisers... Would you cast Paul F. Tompkins as Maxwell Lord or Batman? What's your expert a, take, you milksop? Uh, that is a really funny question. I think he would be funniest as, I mean, Batman. I love the idea of Paul F. Tompkins as Batman. He would be a hilarious just, Batman. Totally wrong just in, for the part. Oh, it'd be the worst casting in many ways, but it would make the movie so funny. Really? This is what we're doing here? We're going straight in. Okay, well, I'm in charge and I just go along with it because that's what I am. Be great. I would love to. I would love to see that. Um, though he would be, I think, an actually genuinely good Maxwell Lord. Um, that that is more suited to him, right? Like yeah. even even down to him wearing a suit all the time. He would yeah. just sort of like, and, and it puts him in a position to be a voice of reason and call out Justice League. While it's sort of like a charming smile, like a guy who's shaking your hands and convincing people of things, and sort of like yeah. making deals, trying to uh, cover okay, up. So fires. Batman's a funnier choice. Yes. 
But Maxwell Lord is the better choice. He kind of played that character in Bajillion Dollar Properties, which is that really funny TV show that he was on where he's like running the place. So he would sometimes be the authority figure and sometimes be the buffoon. I mean, he plays a total a-hole on um, You're the Worst. I got to see that. That's the last season, right? He plays himself and he is just reprehensible. Oh, I love it. I got to see it. I Um, love You're the Worst. I haven't watched that season. And I think there's just basically I think there was a reference on that show at some point to him being a bad guy. And Paul F. Tompkins heard about that and was like, hey, put me on your show then. <laughs> uh, and they did. And it's, he's great. He's very funny on it. And it's, yeah, it's, I don't know, it plays into him him, uh, and goes against his type very well. It's very fun. Um, okay. So I'm going to, I'll say Maxwell Lord. It's a bit, it's a smarter choice, but I'm, it's funny to think about him as Batman. What about him as uh, all the other, what about him playing every character? Like sort of a Peter Sellers thing where he's just <laughs> like right. every character? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would, if you hearken back to the days of college humor, that's a, that's sort of a three minute video I'd love to see. All right. Like, honestly, the world's deepest cut comedy video that truly nobody would enjoy. <laughs> but Paul F. Tompkins doing the Keith Giffen era Justice League. I'd be down. Um, both mean and nice guy Gardner somehow. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I can, because of you're the worst, I can see him doing both a little bit. Yeah. Um, Tony Labra sent us a couple emails. Um, he asked if we had seen any of these screen rant movie pitches by Ryan George. I uh, have not. And I had not. I watched one before we recorded. I watched two. Um, I watched Far From Home, Spider-Man Far From Home, and Avengers Endgame. And these are basically where a guy, he plays both parts, is pitching a movie. And one guy sort of is reacting to all these sort of like either plot holes or weird choices or weird decisions. Mm-hmm. Most of which from watching these, I think aren't the sort of things that bug you when you're watching a movie. Some of them are, but a lot of them are just sort of things like, Oh yeah. If you stop and think about Avengers Endgame, none of it makes sense. Right. Um, uh, well, that sounds very funny and, and I approve of this man's creative venture. It was very fun. The guy uh, on one of these, he says he's recorded over a hundred of these screen rants and I'm just impressed by anyone making a hundred of anything. Yeah, we've only done like 12 of these. Yeah, I'm exhausted. Every time we do one, I'm like, this is the last one. I sleep for a week. I'm only awake when we're doing this podcast. Uh, They're pretty funny, Uh, these Screen Rant movie pitches. They're similar to those things. There's a lot of these. It's almost like there's a subgenre of talking about a movie after it came out and making fun of it, like how the movie should have ended. Yeah. Um, Honest trailers, every mistake or every problem. Right. Uh, Every problem one bothers me a lot. Uh, which it's unfair. It, it shouldn't, but the framing of it as problems and a lot of things aren't problems or just sort of like, they're Logic, just like, oh, you're just nitpicking thing. a movie to death. Yeah. I kind of feel like that's what be social media's role, especially Twitter is just like, here's what's wrong with this thing. Here's what's wrong with this thing. Yeah. Guess what's wrong with this. Uh, I've watched a couple of those and that one for some reason bothers me, but they're all the same thing. They're all just like, I don't, I don't know, a little bit, uh, mystery science theater 3000ing a movie just sort of like if you were sitting there and your job was to make fun of this movie these are things you would say it's like yeah that's true uh these screen rant ones feel pretty good natured to me the two i watch it seems like pretty positive uh and from a comedian standpoint there's great moments of straight manning where the person is just like hey um you're gonna have to just go along with this okay i'll go along with this (laughs) i'm just like they move on (laughs) very much monty python's cheese shop uh, which is a reference. I'm, <laughs> I'm keen for, to guess. Yeah. 
Um, I made that reference, and I think Will got it, and maybe two of our listeners. Yeah, we get a lot of post forty listeners. They're on board with the Monty Python references. Well, they know who Monty Python is. They, you knew exactly what specific line I was referring to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that um, is my favorite line of cheese shop. Should I tell you, sir? No, no, no. I'm keen to guess. Yeah, it is. Well, it, sir. I love that sketch, and that line elevates the entire sketch. <laughs> it makes the whole sketch work in my mind. If if you take that line out, it doesn't work as well. Yeah, yeah. I could just tell you what cheeses I have. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, I could just tell you, sir. No, no, no. I'm keen to guess. <laughs> then yeah. the rest of the sketch is just a list of cheeses. Yeah. Um. Uh, Tony also emails to ask, and I know about these. I'm going to tell you my favorite part of cheese shop. Okay, great. There's one cheese that he says we do have it. He goes, "Well, I'll have that." He goes, "Well, it's quite runny. Mm-hmm. I like it runny. Well, it's very runny, sir. No, I, the runnier the better. It's I think it's runnier than you'll like, sir. He's like, and he's like, shut the heck up and just get me that whatever cheese it is. He's like, oh, the cat's eating it. And John Cleese goes, has he? She, sir. Like even guessing the, the gender of the cat wrong really makes me laugh. Yeah. So that is sort of a weird like running gag in Monty Python, right? He, she. I guess so. It definitely is in uh, Holy Grail. Oh, that's right, sir. I'm a wo- miss. I'm no. not a woman. Oh, sorry. And I Whatever. think there's some of that in the show, too. I think just because they play both parts, I think it is. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is yeah, very funny. Mm-hmm. But also just like that moment is funny because of John Cleese's resignation and then immediately launching right back into guessing. I think there's yeah. like a pause and then he yeah. just starts naming cheeses again. Bear. Yeah, yeah. Well, no one has ever heard two middle-aged dudes talk about Monty <laughs> oh, yeah, Python, sorry. so we just did it. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. Sorry, listeners. But, you know, I love that sketch. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, Tony also asks about these comic books that I've uh, read some of and you've never heard of. That's right. Um, these are where DC took a bunch of Hanna-Barbera properties and reimagined them as edgier characters. <laughs> uh, sometimes they team them up it's with like superheroes. like Huckleberry Hound in a gritty criminal type situation. Yeah, so it's like Huckleberry Hound teams up with Green Lantern, Superman and Top Cat, Deathstroke <laughs> and Yogi Bear. Um, there's also like a 12-issue Flintstones series oh, man. Uh, that is well-loved, I think. Yeah, it's written by this guy Mark Russell, and it was uh, uh, I didn't read it, but uh, I've heard great things about it. And there was also um, uh, who's the um, egg snacklepuss? Exit stage left. Yeah, yeah. is like a um, it's like a commentary on McCarth- McCarthyism and uh, being outed <laughs> as gay. I think uh, it's, it's very, and that's also by Mark Russell, and that's also really fun. And they're. They've done some great things. And there's these are basically like what Alan Moore would do with all these characters. Uh, <coughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of, yes. Yeah. Um, like what is the most cynical and bleak take we can have? And there's definitely a very fun, I think, Elmer Fudd Batman comic where Elmer Fudd is basically like a private detective <laughs> um, teaming up with Batman. They're so weird. They're so weird. Uh, the reason he brings it up is because Keith Giffen and Jam DeMatty's uh, did the Scooby-Doo one. Okay. And it ran for 36 issues, according to Tony. I read the first five, I think. It's called Scooby Apocalypse. And it, <laughs> I mean, it takes place title. in a zombie apocalypse with the Scooby-Doo gang. Uh, he says, it's absolutely bonkers, but so much fun. It seems like something you guys would appreciate. I think he's right. I'll uh, never read it. Uh, uh, I've read some of it, and then I read the last couple issues because Pat Olaf, the penciler from Untold Tales, came on to pencil. Um, and it, it's weird, 
It's a very weird book. I don't know if it quite works, but I do like the big swing. You're smiling a lot as you talk about it. Um, oh, I'll stop. Turn off my Zoom video feed. Um, Keith Giffen and James DeMattis also did, uh, for a little while recently, they were doing a book called Justice League 3000, I think. Okay. And this like took place in the future, obviously. Um, I was hoping Andre 3000 joined the Justice um, League. And-, and it was like... Very weird book. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like Batman was Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman were like reawoken or something, but they were like either clones or they, it was never fully clear what was going on. So you'd love that part about it. But like their, their personalities were slightly off. Um, like I had a theory. This didn't end up being true that like the powers were given to the wrong personalities that Batman was given okay. Superman's powers or something. Okay. Um, okay. cause Superman is sort of like angry and, and braggy. Okay. Um, and Wonder Woman is like a little more aggressive. Uh, and they slowly like meet other justice League characters, but slowly as this book went on, it just basically became justice league international. They brought in blue beetle and booster gold, like as if they woke up from cry- a cryo chamber right out of their run. Yeah. Um, it got very weird and very interesting. I read that whole run. It was never great, but because I love Justice League International, I read the whole thing going, oh, this is, I, I like it. I wanted to love it and I liked it. Anyway, um, that also was going on, I think, either right before or right after, I think right before Scooby-Doo Apocalypse. <laughs> anyway, thanks for emailing us, Tony. Those are weird books. Thank you, Tony. Will won't read them. Uh, I've read some of them. But they do sound fun. Uh, and those are our emails. If you want to email us, our email address is screwitspidey at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter account, screwitcomics, uh, at Twitter. And we have an Instagram, screwitcomics, where Kevin puts up screenshots of the issues we're talking about. I highly recommend this Instagram. Um, and we have like five other Instagrams that are ancillary, and I do not recommend them highly. Uh, screwitrecent, mm-hmm. screwitspidey. Yeah, screwitspidey doesn't have a ton. Though I've just started rereading... 80s era Spider-Man, so I might post some of that stuff on there. Less of it, like maybe a panel and issue or something. I want to reread the Roger Stern era, but he jumps around so much that I think I'm, I just basically started an issue 202 of Amazing and whatever spectacular was coming out that month, and I'm just like reading yeah. it as if I'm reading the issues as as they came out. Yeah. Uh, and I'm catching Roger Stern and like Marv Wolfman and David Michelin and yeah. Denny O'Neill, who just passed. R.I.P. Jenny O'Neill. Um, just like reading them all, and it's interesting. I have a theory, by the way, that, and I can no longer verify this. Well, I, I don't know how to verify this. That threat or menace, the Spider-Man joke, comes from Denny O'Neill. It might. I think someone did track this down. You might be able to Google that. There was a comic book column on Comic Book Resources, which was a good website for a while until it got bought out by some corporation. And one of the columns they did was like, when did this start? Like when was okay. the first time the thing oh, I, says I gotta read it. it's it, it's clobbering time and they like track it down to the first time. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, I've tracked down Threader Menace from before Spider-Man. It's originally, a, it's before that, it's a National Lampoon joke. Before that, a Harvard Lampoon joke. And I think before that, a statement in an, a, a government official talking about UFOs. But the first person who used it in relation to Spider-Man, I'm pretty sure is Denny O'Neill and Frank Miller in an annual. I don't know that for sure, but I think you could find that on the internet um, like anything. Um, okay. But that has become like a thing that like is synonymous with J. Jonah Jameson, Threader Menace. 
It's not just in joking, because then Kurt Busiek did it in Untold Tales. It definitely brought back a lot. And and um yeah. and the video game did it. And the uh cartoons have done it. Like that's always I think in Spectacular Spider Man, Jonas pitches that as a title when he finally starts to hate Spider Man. He doesn't hate Spider Man in the early episodes. Okay. But when he turns on him, he's like, I've got a headline for these if they want Spider Man, I'll give them Spider Man. Here's tomorrow's headline Threat or Menace. Uh because uh he did an article about his son saving a space shuttle and his and the globe sold more issues because Peter Parker sold them photos of Spider-Man fighting the shocker or whoever. Yeah. He's like, oh, that's what they want. I'll give him so much Spider-Man. He's like, yeah, first, he's, first of all, get Peter Parker online. He works for us from now yeah. on. I'll buy every photograph he's got and, and I'm going to trash Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, and it's a fun moment in that cartoon. But Threat or Menace, yeah, it's like become the, it's a thing. I think Denny O'Neill, or it could be Frank Miller, are the people who brought it to the Spider-Man universe. But I will confirm and find out. Um, cool. Um, what else we got going on? Anything? I Nothing. think that's it. All right. Um, R.I.P. Denny O'Neill. We didn't talk about him, but he's a giant of the comic books field. Maybe we'll talk about I him. I did have one other thing to talk about. Is it worth bringing up or should I save it? Yeah, do it. Do it. Um, I posted this video on our Instagram the Batman, the Brave and the Bold Nort episode. Did you watch yeah. this clip? Yes. So I, I was watching Justice League action with my four-year-old, almost four-year-old son. Uh, and I was not into Justice League action. I thought it was fine. So then I subscribed to DC Universe and started watching Batman, the Brave and the Bold, which was sort of a sillier Batman cartoon. He teams up with somebody. It's a little Adam Westy. Okay. Um, and it's fun. It's really fun. I remember enjoying the episodes I'd watched. And it's definitely loves Justice League International. I remembered like there's a Justice League International episode at some okay. point. Guy Gardner is the Green Lantern that is featured in this cartoon, not Hal Jordan. Okay. Uh, Booster Gold is in it. So it's like uh, clearly they're borrowing Justice League International characters. And so my son just randomly picks episodes to watch based on the uh, screen cap. And he picked one that had Nort in it. And uh, it, there's lines lifted directly from the comic about Nort being a, a Green Lantern because he has an influential uncle. <laughs> uh, one punch happens in that same episode. Guy Garner gets knocked out with one punch from Batman and Nort goes, one punch, one punch, because <laughs> Blue Beetle's not around. Um, so it's just very fun to see. Uh, and they give Nort's full name, which is whatever it is. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it's from the comics. It's like, they, it's like no one cares that you got this right, but yeah, they, did. But they got it right. Uh, they're, they're, they got, the, they're Nort purists. Yeah. It's very fun to see Nort adapted into a cartoon. He's such a funny character. As someone posted on Instagram that he, Nort's voice should be Rodney Dangerfield though. And I was <laughs> like, that feels right to me. Uh, and that's not true of this cartoon. And uh, now I think about Rodney Dangerfield and I read Nort lines. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's what uh, I wanted to say. Batman, the Brave and the Bold has Nort. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, everybody. Well, that's our episode. So uh, we'll see you next next time when we get into Justice League Europe. Yep. Now I leave. Bye. Bye. Comics. I'm Kate Thompson. And I'm Mark David Christensen, and together we host Ah oh, Crap, a Hellboy podcast. The show dedicated to the half-demon hero brought forth by writer-artist Mike Mignola and published by Dark Horse Comics. 
Each week, we discuss everything Hellboy. Plus his expanded universe with the BPRD, Abe Sapien, Lobster Johnson, and many more. That's ah crap. A Hellboy podcast on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.